Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. Thank you, y'all. We appreciate that. Medley family, this means a lot to us, and we're thankful that God has placed them here among our congregation. And uh, we love y'all. Well, if you got a copy of God's Word, begin to find Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And uh, I'll see if I can get in this iPad. This is the great thing about technology. When it works, it works. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We are in the season of Advent where we're celebrating and looking with anticipation the coming of Jesus. And of course, we know that he's already came. But for us, as we think about Advent, we celebrate his coming. But listen, we celebrate the fact he's coming again. And I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? He's coming again. Thank his holy name. If you think about Christmas time, one of the things that we always think about at Christmas time is this one word, joy. Joy is a word that uh, seems boundless and, and uncontainable, isn't it? It's something that when you have joy, it, it overflows. And the thing about joy that overflows is that when somebody else catches it, it, it just continues to spread. I mean, it's just contagious, isn't it? I mean, it's exciting to talk about joy. And as we celebrate Advent, there's oftentimes an overlooked story. We may think about it, but we don't really concentrate on it. But there's, a, there's an Advent story that we find in the narrative of Luke's gospel chapter one that we often overlook. But it's a story that fits well with Advent because it's a story of expectation, a, a story of waiting, uh, a story really of longing. And it is a story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, before we really dive into the text, I sort of have to ask this question of, of you. Do you understand what joy really is? Do you, do you understand what joy is this morning? Do you really have a good grasp, a firm definition of joy? Because I think for most of us, when we think about Joy. And one of the things about Christmas time that brings us joy, I think, is really the happiness that we feel because of the circumstance that we're in. Meaning that, you know, happiness is, is the kids come home for Christmas if you have an empty nest. Or if you have little ones at home, it's the joy of getting up at 5 a.m. and uh, them waking you up excited because there are presents under the tree. Uh, I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy, right? Did, did you not, do you not have joy at 5 a.m. when the kids get you up? You know, I, I, you know, it wasn't until I had kids that I understood, boy, this is miserable. <laughs> you know, getting up at 5, I'm supposed to be sleeping in. I'm off on Christmas, you know what I'm saying? By humbug. But, uh, you know, it's the joy of, of getting together. I mean, the happiness of getting together and celebrating and watching your kids play with the empty box instead of the toy you bought them, right? That's a... That's a moment of happiness. We can all relate to that, can't we? You know, instead of them playing with this $30, $40, $50, $60 toy, they play with the box. You know, it's like, man, I just got you some boxes. 
for Christmas, you know. So joy is, or happiness rather, I keep getting confused because we get them confused, don't we? We, we oftentimes forget that happiness is what we feel in moments and circumstances of time. Joy is different, isn't it? Joy is something that's deep-seated. It's, it's something that wells up from inside deeply. Joy is more experienced when you're at the birth of your child. Remember when your children came into the world? You were happy, but it, but it wasn't something that just fades off. It's something that deep-seats inside you. There's this joy of being a parent. Not at 5 a.m. when you're opening presents. Not, not in the middle of the night when the baby's screaming, has colic, and, you know, it's like, is this baby ever going to go to sleep? You, can you all relate to that? Amen? You ever been there? If you never had a colicky baby, you don't understand, let me tell you. But we had a colicky baby. I can remember at 2 a.m. in the morning putting Chris on a, on a towel on top of the dryer with the dryer on running so that the warmth of the dryer would maybe soothe his hurting belly and maybe he would pass some of that colic and go back to sleep. So that I could go back to sleep, so that I could go to work the next day. Okay, you know, y'all ever been there? But there's still there's something about that joy. There, there's something about the joy of getting married. You know, standing there at the altar and marrying the love of your life. And there's just something that changes. It's not just a happy moment, but it's a deep-seated joy that man, I get to spend the rest of my life with this girl. That's phenomenal. I mean, that's just amazing to be able to do that. You know, joy is hearing your cancers in remission. Amen? It's something deep-seated. It's not just a happiness you feel, oh, you're happy. But it's something that, it does something deep inside you. It changes you. That's what joy is. Joy is described by John MacArthur this way. Listen to how he says it. He said, joy is not a feeling It is a deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for our good and for his glory. And thus all is well, no matter the circumstances. You know, joy is something that is rooted, I believe, in three things. It's rooted in gratitude. I'm thankful for what God has done. It's rooted in the fact that I have this meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. Is your relationship meaningful? I mean, does it mean anything to you? I have this meaningful relationship with Christ. And it's rooted in this hope that he has brought me. A hope that, yes, I'm going to go to heaven one day. But it's the hope I have and I experience daily. It's, it's the, the hope that brings the joy, amen? That, that reminds me that no matter what the circumstance may be, and I don't like some of the circumstances, but whatever they may be, the hope is this is not my final destination. This too shall pass, amen? amen. And so when we think about joy this morning, we talk about the joy that Elizabeth is going to experience and Zacharias is going to experience in this text of Luke's one. It's, it's a, a joy that's different than just mere let's be happy this Christmas. Because you know, you can find joy even when you're not happy. Amen? So the narrative really picks up for us in Luke's gospel chapter one, 
verses 5 through 7. I want to look at those verses first, and I want you to think about this. In this narrative, I think we find our own need for joy. I, I don't know if you're here today and you, maybe you're not experiencing joy. I, I think we all at times find ourselves needing joy to sparkle up inside of us. Listen to the text. It says, there were in those days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. He says, under the vision of Abja, and his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all of the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, and they were blameless. Verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Do, do you see the need for joy in that narrative? You know, for us, we read verse 7, and verse 7 really doesn't mean a thing to us. Verse 7 doesn't mean anything because we don't understand the custom, that we don't understand the life of Jews. But for a woman to be barren was not a good thing. As a matter of fact, people in the time would look at a woman who was barren as less of a woman than the rest of the women who had children. Think about that. I mean, it was the scarlet letter of the day. I mean, it was something to be despised, something to be shamed. Because not only was she without children, but listen, most would identify with her and say she must have some kind of sin in her life because God gave children to those he blessed and those who live right. We read in Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. Now, you define a quiver, okay? They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. There is joy with children. There is blessings in the hand of God with children, but for Elizabeth, who no doubt, like most young women who got married, thought, well, one day I'm going to hear the pitter-patter of little feet running around the house. But soon as the years passed, her dreams began to be empty, as empty as the womb in which she had. Can you just imagine, put yourself in her place for a minute. Maybe you're here as a a young woman, or maybe you're here and you're an elderly woman now and you never had children because you were never able to. You sort of understand, don't you? You can sort of relate to the story of Elizabeth and what she must have been feeling and going through in the, in the idea of wanting to have children and unable to do so. I tell you, folks, there was a stigma attached to her life. And I wonder this morning, we may not have a stigma attached, but maybe there's someone here today, you know, you're sort of in a desperate situation. You know, maybe for you, you're not dealing with a, an infertility issue, but maybe you're, you're dealing with a financial crisis. Maybe for you, you've had some hopes and some dreams, and, and maybe they've gone unanswered for a long period of time, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, am, am I ever going to see this happen in my life? Are these dreams ever going to be fulfilled? Maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're saying, you know, uh, I've been disappointed this year by a lot of things in my life. Or maybe you're going through a period of discouragement. Or maybe you're in dismay. Maybe you're saying, you know, 2018 has not been good to me. 
and you've not experienced much joy this year. Maybe like poor Elizabeth, you're hiding your private pain because it's too painful to share with other people. I don't know where you're at. I just know that as I look at Elizabeth's life and I begin to think about the social stigma attached, and as I begin to think of the fact that not only is there a social stigma attached to her barrenness, but her hopes and dreams of having children have been crushed. Do you know what it's like to pray and to ask God to do something in your life and God not answer? See, I think that sometimes we forget. Maybe we don't forget. Maybe we're just too, too embarrassed to talk about it. Or maybe, maybe it's just words we're not supposed to utter in church. But, but I think there's times in our life when we pray and we seek God and God doesn't answer and discouragement comes and yet we're supposed to go to church and put on our smiley face and we're supposed to be happy and we're supposed to be joyful and yet inside we're like, God, where are you? God, where are you? I've been there before. Have you ever been there? And I think when you look at Elizabeth, you can say for Elizabeth sometime in her life, no doubt, she's probably there. You say, oh, the scripture doesn't say that. Okay, give me a little license, all right? I am a preacher. I'm trying to make a good story. But the reality is if she's like any other human being, Seth, she's been there sometime in her life. Sometime in her life, the weight of being barren has crushed her. I'm not making this up, by the way, because later when she does have this conception, the Bible says she hides herself for five months. No doubt hiding for five months because how would it look here being a senior adult lady, never having children, going out and announcing to the world in the first month of pregnancy, hey, I'm pregnant. They go, you're an idiot. Five months, she hides away. She starts getting that baby bum right? So the baby bum begins to appear and then she makes herself known to everybody. And when she makes herself known to everybody, everybody's rejoicing with her because she's pregnant in her old age. How awesome is that? But you can imagine before that experience, before that time, you can imagine the heartache, the pain. But it says in that text that after she, she got pregnant and showed herself to everybody, she says, the Lord did this. He's taken away my reproach. What does that mean? That means for her, she understood the stigma. For her, she felt the pain of being barren. I wonder, are you there this morning? Do you feel joyless? God's forsaken you. God's abandoned you. God, where are you at this morning? We don't talk about these things at church because we're living in a wealth, health, prosperity time. And, and we think that everybody's supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so if we have a discouragement in our life, if we are down as a Christian, there must be something wrong with you. Well, that's what they thought of her. Maybe something wrong with her. She, she's in sin. Oh, if you don't have any joy now in your life, you must be in sin. That's what we think. Let me tell you something. There's a plan at work. I said, I said Wednesday night in our Bible study Wednesday night. I said, you know, the thing that's amazed me, this Christmas season, more than any other Christmas season, I, I, I've sort of just, the Holy Spirit has helped me to peer in to see this truth and just jump off the page of the Bible as I read this year. And that is this whole idea of how God put everything in its place perfectly in its timing at this time, at this time, at this time. It's amazing to me how God has orchestrated all these events in the lives of the people of the narrative to come alive just when he needs them to. 
I don't know why I've not focused on that before, but I'm telling you, in the midst of needing joy this holiday season, can I tell you that God is orchestrating and putting things together, and he's doing that in your life right now. And you may not feel that way, but it's a reality if you're a, if you're a follower of Christ. He is. And so can I tell you that you may not have joy now, but joy really does come in the morning. It's not just a song. It's not a cliche. It's a reality. Joy does come in the morning. But where? Where do we find joy in the midst of being barren? Can I tell you where we find joy? We find it in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you where we're trying to find it. Where I'm going to tell you where people have tried to find joy and cannot find it. First of all, some have tried to find joy in unbelief. They think, well, if I just do away with God, if I just say there is no God, then my life will be all right. Voltaire tried that. And Voltaire, being an unbeliever, at the end of his life wrote these words. I wish I had never been born. Some are trying to find it in pleasure. Here's what they say. Like Lord Brian as he come to the end of his life, he says, the worm and the canter and grief are all alone. He says about money, Jay Gould, the American millionaire, said this when he was dying. I suppose I am the most miserable man on all the earth. Some are trying to find in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield, a Lord, said this as he was dying. Youth is a mistake. Manhood a struggle in old age of regret. Some have tried to find it in glory, especially military glory. Yet if you know anything about Alexander the Great, he died at 27 years of age. And he cried one day in his tent. Here's what he said. There is no more worlds to conquer. Think about it. People are looking for joy, but they're finding it in the wrong places. For Elizabeth, it was found in the Lord alone. Look back at the narrative, beginning at verse eight. And so it was that while he was serving, that is Zacharias, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, he says his lot fell to burn incense. And when he went into the temple of the Lord, and then the whole multitude, verse 10, of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then here it is. And then it says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And he, excuse me, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. The angel's message was from God. God stepped in. Apparently, Zacharias wanted children too. Amen? And he had been praying for his wife, for we don't know how long. We're just told that they're past barren age. That, that they're not able to have children. They're not supposed to have children at this point in their life. Think about that for a minute. He had been praying and now, all these years later, hmm, 
God sends an angel. Not any angel, by the way. Gabriel. Sends Gabriel on to me. And, and so Zacharias, does he really get the message? He doesn't. Verse 19, listen to what it says. And the angel answered and said to him, he's like, how can this all happen? He says, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And what does he do? He said, I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Listen, when God's involved, there's joy in the morning. Amen. Amen. The Bible is full of it. Think about the Israelites in bondage. God delivers. They're on their way out to freedom. They're on their way to the promised land. And they run up against the Red Sea. They could hear. They could see. The Egyptians have changed their mind, hadn't they? They want to come and slay them. And then they met God at the Red Sea. What did God do? He parted the sea. The Bible says they passed forth on dry ground. And then what did God do? He closed up the sea and he drowned all of the Egyptians there. Let me tell you, was there joy that day? I bet you there was. Think about two guys, or three guys rather, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says they went into the fiery furnace and they met a guy there. Nebuchadnezzar, you know what Nebuchadnezzar said? It looks like one is the son of God. They met Jesus in that furnace. And the Bible says when they came out, Steve, they didn't even smell like smoke. How is that possible? How is that possible, God? Think about Daniel. Daniel prays. He's faithful. He gets thrown in the lion's den. The Bible tells us the king lost his sleep that night. He was worried. What do we find Daniel doing? Daniel's praying in the lion's den. Is the lion eating? No. What happened? God Moving to the New Testament, there's a woman with an issue of blood for, for 12 years. She had a stigma on her life. For 12 years, she was forced to be outside the temple. She couldn't worship. For 12 years, her life is full of anguish and pain. And, and she's about near broke because it says she spent all she had on doctors to no resolution. Then she met Jesus. She said, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch the hem, if I could just touch the hem... And what? It was changed. Her issue of blood was dried up. She was healed physically that day. But let me tell you something. That day, Jesus said to her, more than her physical healing, right? Her faith saved her. She had not only physically been healed, but now spiritually healed. I want you to think about it this morning. Those of us who know Jesus, you were lost in sin separated from God, stained by the guilt of sin. And yet, when Christ came and you met him, he changed you. He made you his children. I'm gonna tell you, there's joy when there's God. Amen? He is the source. <clears throat> but let me hit the pause button a minute because as I was preparing this week, I thought, you know, Lord, there are times, and I've already shared a little bit about it, but there's times in my life where I know joy is going to come in the morning. I realize that, but there's times where I don't think it's coming. And I thought, you know, Lord, I don't want to give this impression on Sunday morning that, you know, we, we like Elizabeth, you know, all we got to do is wait however long they waited. And, and by the way, you know, just so you know, as they were waiting, 
<coughs> they didn't lose their faith. Go back to verse six. Read verse six. Because let me tell you something, that's all we can do sometimes. All we can do is go back to verse six. So in your waiting, in your despair, in your discouragement, in the times where it feels like heaven is not listening, that God is, is ignoring you, you go back to verse six. Because verse six is about them being righteous before God. It's about them being blameless. It's about them living out their faith, even though the reality of barrenness was in their face. Can I tell you that sometimes all we can do is what the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's times you just have to go back to verse 6 and say, God, I don't understand everything. God, I don't know what you're doing, but God, I'm going to be at verse 6. I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to walk with you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. Even though I don't understand everything that's going on. Because let me tell you something. Did Elizabeth and Zacharias know that at this particular time an angel was going to come and visit with them and tell them that they were going to have John the Baptist? Did they know that? No, they did not know that. They did not know that God had a plan. And his plan was to send his son into the world to be born of the Virgin Mary. But in that plan included a guy named John the Baptist who would be the forerunner to to the Messiah. You see, if he was born when they were newlyweds, guess what? He wouldn't have been the guy. But listen, he's the guy now. Why? Because at God's right time, all these miracles point to the fact of, first of all, fulfilling prophecy. Second of all, of doing miracles to show God is in control. Amen? Do we know what God is doing all the time? We don't know what God's doing all the time. Go back to verse 6. <laughs> Just got to trust him. I got to trust God. So the angel comes and says, listen, Zechariah, the only way this is possible is God. That's the only way it's possible. And it's the only thing that's possible for us today is trust him. Say, God, I don't understand. God, I'm hurting. I want joy. I want the light to shine. God says, sometimes you're just going to have to trust me. I want to wrap up with what Peter says, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, talking about Jesus. And he says, whom you have not seen you love. I hope you love Jesus. He says, though now you do not see him yet believing, verse 6. See, I don't see Jesus. I, I, I've never seen him physically, but I tell you, I, I felt him personally. Amen. I, I know that Jesus is alive because he transformed my life. I know the wickedness that I lived in. I know the sin that was so sickening and disgusting in my life. I know what he's done to redeem me and to pull me up out of the muck and the mire of the worldly living and set me a feet, set my feet upon his holy land. I, I, I know what that's like. I've been there. I can look at my life before. I look at my life now. And listen, even since I got saved in 1984, I can look at my life now. And by the way, my spiritual birthday is coming up on New Year's Eve. That's when I got saved, on New Year's Eve, 1984. Now I'm going to give my daughter away that day to be married. Um, Boo-hoo. But anyway, um, <laughs> I know my life from that day forward, the faithfulness of God. God growing me, God maturing me, God bringing me to this place where I would be here even now to be a preacher of the gospel. Listen, I know that he is with us. Amen. I know that he is. And he says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And then he says here, yet believing. And notice he goes on in the verse. He says, and you rejoice with joy. 
How is it that I rejoice in joy? He said, and we do that so with inexpressible and full of glory. Amen. We, we, we worship wholeheartedly the Lord. Receiving the end of your faith. What is the end of our faith? The salvation of our soul. Listen, how can I have joy today? Listen, you're saying, I don't have joy. Listen, turn back to Jesus. Look back to him. There's where joy is found. Peter said, that's where your joy is found. It is found in him. So the question this morning is this. Do you know him? That's where it all begins. See, joy is, a, joy is a choice, right? It's an action. Do I choose? Let me read this quote to you and I'll be done with this quote. This one pastor says this, the gospel is the good news. It's the good news that God's son has broken through and has actually become a human being. He came to earth and through the crazy upside down strategy of dying and suffering and apparent defeat. He has actually turned the tables on evil. And he's leading a revolt. And eventually, it's going to eradicate all the evil and suffering of the world. See, the gospel story, when you actually believe it, it is then that you realize it's true. And when you take hold of it, it inflicts upon your heart a joy that you did not know you were even capable of experiencing. That's powerful. The gospel, Jesus. You need joy? It's found in him. Let's pray this morning. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.